Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast that tells the story behind the book. It includes insights from authors about how they compose their work, what inspires them, and what they hope you'll take away from their book. Here's your host for this episode of Books on Air, Suzanne Harris. Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Sloan Fremont, filling in for Suzanne Harris. This is a podcast where listeners get the secret story behind every book. Joining me today is Diane Drummond, author of the book, The Voice from the Back Row, Off the Bandwagon. Diane's book is uniquely relevant to our times and the challenges that face us. Various issues are addressed in self-contained chapters, and the book gives some how-to information, but it's not a prescription to be followed. It encourages readers to think for themselves. Diane, welcome to the Books on Air podcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you. So let's start out today by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your book, The Voice from the Back Row. Okay, well, I have always had an idea that I could write, but I never developed that except to write little stories for the kids I taught or poems here and there, and those are not published. Mm -hmm. But then about six years ago, I took a course uh, run by the magazine called The Optimist, which I don't believe is any longer in existence. But anyway, during that self-improvement course, we were given the task of having a project to do. Mm-hmm. And I chose as my project to write a blog. At that time, I didn't even know what a blog was. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny. I told them I was going to write a blog every day, and they laughed at me because I met a post with a blog. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. And so I did that. And along the way, I was helped by a friend who was also taking the course. I've never met him. He lives in Texas. But he helped me immensely by helping me with the technical or computer aspects that I couldn't handle on my own. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the name of that blog was called The Voice from the Back Row. And it included things that I thought were relevant. And the be- in the beginning, it was mostly personal things. And then it expanded and it included the things that were going on and kind of seemed to write itself. Mm, and that's yeah. the strange part. I had to keep a discipline of sitting down to write. But once I sat down to write, the post would seem to write itself. Right. (laughs) And it was all material that was relevant to our times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you give us some examples of some of the topics you cover in your book? Oh, for example, mostly, mostly, most of mine, but I cover the difference between excellence and perfection, for example. And I cover what I call double speak, which is what I see coming out from the government. The English language no longer means what the English language means. It means what (laughs) tells you it means. Right. (laughs) And uh, things on how to grow yourself, like on how to do appreciation. And if you appreciate enough, it can cast out your fear and why it isn't good to fear and how the new world that comes is going to be a combination of what all of us think and dream and feel. So it's important for all of us to do that work of thinking, dreaming and feeling. It's not enough just to sit back and say, big brother will take care of me or I don't care and and let it go because then you'll get something all right, but you might not get what you want. Right. And that, that's, um, that's such an interesting topic to me. And I love, I'd like to explore that a little bit with you today. Cause I know when I was reading your, your, your background and the information on the book, that's, that's one of the same things that seemed like that, um, or it was one of the things that stuck out to me was how, um, you, you say that your book is not a prescription to be followed, but it encourages readers to think for themselves, which is right. so important these days, right? Because it's very easy to fall in line with various, um, you know, whatever might be going on in the world. And so can you expand a little bit more on that 
thinking and feeling and um, maybe even like how people can decide, you know, how they want the future to go instead of maybe being on the flip side of things where maybe people are in fear or are worried or are over-consumed by the negative side of things? Okay, the first thing I think is important, because there's a lot of negative coming out, both from the, the media or the official stance and from the unofficial stances that the media says is disinformation. Right. And in my opinion, when they're all debating about who's scientific and who isn't, it's scientific to let scientists freely debate with each other. It's not scientific to shut somebody up right. or denounce somebody else. Okay. But anyway, we all need to think and feel for ourselves. We need to take in information from all sources. So please don't be disturbed by, I got this off the um, media, so it must be wrong, or I got this off a website, so it must be wrong, or somebody's selling something, so it must be wrong. Well, maybe it is wrong, and maybe it isn't. Right. But you're going to have to think that through for yourselves and decide based on what you know about life and what you know about yourself. And as you're doing that, it's also important to consider what direction do you want to go? What do you right. think the results might be? For example, uh, you hear a lot about maybe there's going to be a cashless society mm-hmm. and everything's on a card. And then think about it. If it's on a card, what might the results of that be? Or if it's not on a card, what might the results of that be? How would you like it to go? Not only how, but why would you like it to go that way? Do you want those yeah. results? And, um, oh, what was another one? Okay. It's important for us to do that thinking because that if we don't, somebody else is going to think for us and just do something and we may or may not like it. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that for myself, at least over the past couple of years that I really realized is how much, um, I looked outside of myself for answers, right? when we do that, um, we're always looking for someone else to save us or to maybe protect us or to tell us the right way to go. And what I love about your book and what it encourages is, is really the opposite of that, to look within, decide from within and then work your way out. And that's, that's such a, I think, different message than maybe most people are used to, but a message that I think is so necessary. It's absolutely essential. And I, I honor and admire all the people who are working for no war or for environment or for whatever cause they're, and they run and protest in the streets and wave the flags and do some other things and lobby in Congress. And those are all very important and relevant things to do. But by themselves, those actions will not change anything. Right. We cannot give the work to the activist to do. We cannot give the work to a politician to do. We have to do the inner work and then speak out according to what we think and feel. Right. And that there's that side of things also where I think you kind of touched on a little bit, the polarities of it's either right or it's wrong, or it's either yes or it's no, you know, it's either one or the other. And what gets lost in those, in that kind of thinking is that in between that there's that gray area that things aren't always one or the other. Mm-hmm. There's some in between in allowing ourselves to think in that way and, and get out of our box of thinking too, I think is, is it's, um, it's so eye opening. And then you start to see things that maybe you missed previously. And it also really, I think helps people to reconsider our, all their beliefs is what I really believe true. Right. And when you start exploring that, um, that can be a really interesting process. That is, that is true. What I have found over the course of life, I call it the law of paradox, but that's mm-hmm. just my name for it. It's could mm-hmm. have any other words for it. And it's when you have polarities, two things that are exactly opposites, and you hold both of these things in your mind at the same time without judging either of them, 
then pretty soon you will come to something in the middle. And where they meet in the middle is usually what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to do because you have to hold two opposite things in your mind and they're kind of conflicting at the same time and you don't say neither of them is untrue. Right. But you're looking for the truth. Right. And and we get so emotionally involved in those scenarios too, right? Especially if you're thinking of two polar opposites of something that you're really, really emotionally have, you know, strong feelings about. And sometimes it can be so hard to have that other opposing view because it's, it's so, yes. it's so conflicting that it, it's, it's confronting to ourselves, right? Because right. it forces you to, like we were saying, look at that other side of things. But like you're saying in that middle ground is often where the true answer is. And that's something exactly. that you can, I think, feel in your body when you, when you're, when you're on one end or the other, it feels very extreme. It feels very, um, very emotionally all over the place and almost out of control. But when you get into that inner, that middle space of where it starts to feel more true, that's to me, at least that's where that you can start to feel that in your body, where you feel more relaxed and more like, well, this makes more sense. And actually the minute you get off the one side or the other and you say, okay, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to put these both in my mind and say, they could be true then you start to relax. Yeah. It's no, no longer such a struggle. Yeah. You're not trying to fight for one or the other. There's no fight anymore. And that's where the pain is or the frustration or whatever is in the fight. I think. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing that I wanted to point out, and I think I did that earlier on in the book is that there's an old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And that comes from a long time ago, you know, you bathed your baby in a tub of water and had to dispose of the water manually, it didn't go down a drain. And they're just saying, as you're tossing the tub out of the water, be careful you don't throw the baby out too, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so that means if you go on to progress, if you want to change something and go into progress, for every advance, there is a loss of something. For right. every gain, there's a loss. And too often people go, yay, progress, and run, run headlong pell-mell into progress without considering what they might be losing in the process and asking themselves, do I really want to lose that? Am I willing to give that up in favor of the other? Yeah, that's very interesting. Can you give an example of that, of maybe something? All right, let me see. The one that comes to mind is maybe a little off center, but my mother, when she grew up, okay, memorized everything she memorized tongue poems and everything else they used to have what they call elocution in schools which just means they had to stand up and speak those things they memorized yes early even earlier than that things were often carried on orally my oral tradition education was and then we developed writing and a lot of the oral tradition got lost and we don't have so many storytellers uh, transmitting the information anymore so we now have it in writing, which is good. A lot of people can have it. And then my mother did this memorizing of poetry and great works and things. And we go a little farther. I memorized a little bit and I can quote a little bit, but I can't, don't have a ready quote every time like my mother used to have. Right. And we right. continue on down the line. We get computers now, computers which do everything. And now the children are not learning the number facts really because the computer calculator and computer can do it. And they, I know because I've taught kids, they aren't losing their grammar anymore. They go on Grammarly and they don't practice spelling very much in schools anymore or penmanship hardly at all. And these are things we are losing. Do we want to lose them? Yeah. If we don't, we need to make some adjustments (laughs) in our education system. Yeah. And that's a very good point. I remember years ago, I feel like I grew up in this in-between state where we were still 
you know, still practice writing. We still had to use long form for math and everything and yeah. calculators and things were just coming out, you know, when I was um, going to in school and um, more of the complicated ones. And I remember, you know, I don't know, being out of school and one of my friends um, had kids and they were talking about how their kid never, never even bought the teachers didn't even try to teach them how to spell because they kept saying that, oh, you'll just use spell check. And I remember being so shocked by that. Like I had never considered that or even thought about that as being an option. So what you're saying is when you gain something and and lose the other and, and really being able to think about that, about, and I think it ties back to what you said at the beginning for to think about what do you want that experience to be? What, what do you individually, how do you want that to go? Because we can't change the whole world, right? We can focus on what we can change within ourselves and what we have influence over. And because sometimes, you know, thinking about these things too, it seems, well, I can't do anything. So why do anything at all? Right. But we can, we can our own, we have our own span of control. And I think that reminder is so important. To a large extent, we can choose how we want to live. Mm-hmm. Of course, we can't choose to go murder somebody or do something right. like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. But we can choose, at least to some extent, how we want to live. And if we don't like what's going on with the government now, we can choose to go out and get a homestead, perhaps. But we can right. try. We can get a group of people together and try. Okay, so these are the things. And I think the computer is a wonderful tool. But I think we're getting far too dependent upon it, in which case it becomes the master and not the tool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that dichotomy there with those with that type of thing where we're then, um, you know, subjected to what and it kind of even goes back to what we talked about, about being told versus thinking within how you want it to go. Some of these things just naturally flow into different stages. And it's almost like we don't even realize it became the next stage of the thing, whatever the thing might be until you look back and and see how things have changed. And it's like, wait a minute, do I really want my computer telling me, or do I really want to ask my computer every question and have my computer listening to everything I'm saying, right? Do I want to maybe step away from it and have real conversations with people and, you know, put the technology away for a while. So it's a lot of interesting things to consider when you think about it. Or would I rather live in cyberspace or live in nature? Right. In the real world. (laughs) Worldwide. I know. So, so your book came from your blog and you, you've, you, it sounds like you cover a lot of topics in, in the book and you, you, and it sounds like, um, from hearing you talk is a lot of the things that your, um, that your book covers and that you're offering to people is, it sounds like better ways to live or different ways to live or, or consider how to consider different ways to live. Yes. To consider maybe more satisfying ways to live. Yeah. When I say maybe, because it might not be, maybe somebody wants to live in cyberspace. There are some advantages to that. <laughs> right. Right. No. It's all, and it all comes down to choice, right? It all comes down yeah. to, to choice, ultimately our personal choice. And the interesting thing to me about this, about how you listening to you talk about the writing process and how, when you were disciplined enough to sit down, that it, it came to you, that you're reminding people of the other options that sometimes are easy to forget. Yeah. That, that I am doing. That, that I am. And, and I hear a walk somewhere. <laughs> I heard something in the, the electronics. Excuse me. Okay, what was I saying? Uh, yeah, I'm reminding people that there are other ways to be and they need to be thought of and that they can be created and brought forth. And there are also ways when you think about them to live in a happier way for yourself. Yeah, yes. So. And the the other thing that I would like to say, it's not enough to work on trying to make other people do what you want them to do. 
Let's change the government and make everybody do this and make them do that. That's not enough. You have to work on yourself first. You have to right. get yourself into the into the workforce, so to speak. Not the physical workforce, but the mental workforce that puts society together. Right. It starts with you. It starts with with what with you, what you think about, how you perceive exactly. the world, really, and in, in, in the way you're filtering the things in your life. And, and that's a really interesting exercise to do, to pay attention to your thoughts throughout the day. Right. And just really think, have more of an awareness of your thoughts, because as we all know, our thoughts, um, our thoughts come and go sometimes hundred miles an hour. Right. And they can be really overwhelming to us. But the interesting thing that I learned about thoughts years ago was that I don't have to believe every thought that I think. <laughs> and, and that sometimes is, um, that I remember at first I was really mind blown by that. And then I felt very, it was felt very freeing to realize that, right. That I don't have to believe everything, every single thought that comes into my mind. And especially the thoughts that are negative that are making me feel I'm, you know, closed off or that I don't have other choices. And, um, when we, when you operate from that place and like you're talking about from that place of decision of deciding within your span of control, your focus, how, how you want your world to go, um, so much opens up that maybe you couldn't see before. That's true. That's true, Sloan. Uh, I also want to point out to people that since this is not a narrative, the book does not read, need to be read in order, cover to cover. Mm-hmm. So each reader is quite free to pick and choose the chapters they find intriguing and do them first and kind of jump around in the book as they want to. Yeah. And I think by doing that, you can savor it because you're not putting yourself to the thing. I have to start with page one and read it all the way to the end in order, but you can just savor it as you read it. Yeah, pick the parts that are most relevant at the time you're reading it, which is going to change every time you pick up the book. Exactly. This is not academic. It's more like friends talking to each other. Yeah. What what do you want the readers to learn or take away after they've read your book? Uh, Basically, I want them to take away, there's a whole lot in there, that they need to do the acting and the growing and the Mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. And that this is important. Because otherwise, I think we're headed in some directions we really will be unhappy about later. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. we're passive and say, I want to be, t- I, I don't care, it'll all give me okay, it'll give me done, I don't have to think or do anything. Then we are acquiescing to something we may not want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like want a call for personal, a call for personal choice or a call for personal responsibility really i'd like them to take that away but i'm not beating people over the head with it (laughs) right right well again it's a choice everybody gets the choice you know they get the choice for how they want to live and um the choice doesn't always have to be the negative one that's um (laughs) it's always worth reminding i think yeah exactly who would you say your book appeals to and why it appeals to anybody who has been affected by the current situation it also appeals to anybody who's interested in personal growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, can appeal to all ages. Young mm-hmm. people can read it and love it, and older people can read it and love it. Um, so I, there's practically no one it doesn't appeal to, <laughs> unless it's someone who says, "I have the one right way, and it's going to be this way, and I'm going to make you do it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then it that's appeals awesome. to anybody who doesn't have that attitude. Right. Yeah. Well, good. That's good. Yeah. And. And but I, my prayer is that it be widely read. That's yeah. what I want more than anything else. I want people to think and contribute to making something that's a, a really working new reality because we can never, ever go back to what used to be. Yeah, We have the energy of change upon us and we can't go back to what we used to be any more than we can go back to the Middle Ages. 
Yeah. And that energy of change, we can look at it again, like we've been talking about it two ways. You can look at it as negative or you can choose to look at it positive and decide how Mm -hmm. you want to ride that wave. Yeah. Whichever way you choose to ride it, it's there. That's not going away. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. I, this conversation is, um, I love talking about this kind of stuff, if you can't tell. So this is a very interesting conversation. Um, we're getting ready to close out here. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that the listeners know about you and your book? Okay. I don't know, but I would like to add a little teeny bit. Four of the chapters in the later part of the book start with little stories or anecdotes. And I think those are going to be enjoyable to people who like to look for stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's see, one of them is called the avocado seed. And that would be on page 293. There's one called Abuela, Marita, and the baby gopher, a little thing on death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how it's death is not necessarily the way you think it is. And that's on page 454. Another called Dreaming Our New Reality that shows how you can hold the concept in your mind and dream it into reality. It's an Ooh. example, a little story. Yeah. That's a nice one. That's on page 467. And there's another one about a mother and her young son called It Is Always Now. And the little boy wants something to happen now. And the mother explains how it's always now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting on that conversation. So yeah, those, are, those are there if you want stories instead of conversations. Then mm-hmm. those are there. Mm-hmm. Good. Very good. Diane, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and learn about your book, The Voice from the Back Row, Off the Bandwagon. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. Question. I enjoyed talking with you too. I wish we could talk longer. <laughs> <laughs> I know this went really fast. <laughs> well, you can find out more about the book, The Voice from the Back Row, Off the Bandwagon on Amazon. And I'll link to the book in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join us for the next Books on Air podcast. Remember, you never know who's going to be here, and you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.